morning, Church of the Holy Spirit members. All right. So for those of you who do not know, this morning Tim is gone, as you've probably noticed. And we have some lovely families up here who uh, are discipling their children. Um, what did I want to say? I want to open us in prayer. So if you all would, um, would pray with me, that would be wonderful. Thank you. Holy Spirit, come. Please open our hearts to receive your word, your gospel, your truth planted deep in our hearts. I pray that where there is discouragement, that there would be encouragement. That where there is complacency, that there would be passion. That where we have allowed our own hearts to tempt us and the enemy to tempt us, Lord God, that we would recognize what is from you and what is from the enemy and know that anything that you have called us to, you make us able to follow through in. So Father God, please touch the hearts of everyone here today to understand a bit more what it looks like to disciple and also to just walk in faith with you. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, my name is Lily Sarabrov, and my family just moved here a little over two years ago, but one thing that we are uh, definitely passionate about is Jesus, right? So that's kind of a gimme. But um, when it comes to having children, and we have four little ones age eight and down, what does that look like? Um, so just as a Short introduction, because really this morning is about story, and it's about looking into the families of people that we don't get to see on a daily basis. This summer, our family had to live in between homes for two and a half months, and it was beautiful to get a glimpse into what it looked like for other families to disciple their children in really amazing ways that were completely different from the way that our family does it. And I think that some of the temptations that we have just as people is to look at what other people are doing and being like, uh, that doesn't make sense to me. Or to think that there's a particular way in which you need to go about parenting, like there's some sort of prescription. And the fact of it is that your family culture in Jesus, the way that you disciple is going to be just as unique as our God in each of our hearts and in our individual relationships with him. So I hope today that you guys can get a glimpse into these homes and see, hey, like, that's something I'm kind of passionate about. Maybe that's, maybe that's something Jesus wants to do in our home. Or just open your heart and say, Lord, like, what is it you have for my family? Um, one of the things that I love about the life of Jesus is that it gives us a wonderful model for how to do this. So Jesus spent three years living with the disciples. In that time, he both modeled ministry, just as we do with our little kids, even when we're, they're little, we'll pray over them and they're just gonna babble back at us. They don't have to know a thing. But as we go from that modeling time, we move into creating a scaffold. How is it that they enter into doing these things for themselves? And then from that scaffolding, which is kind of our part two, they get to participate in the commission. And as parents, we bear the same authority that God the Father gave to Jesus. We have that authority then to commission our children in the name of Jesus to carry out the great commission. And so I think we're going to look at discipling both within this framework, that kind of when your kids are really little, you start with a lot of modeling, you create that scaffold, you invite them into their own personal relationship with Jesus, and then they get commissioned. They're going to leave eventually they need to be able to handle that commission on their own. Um, 
and we're gonna look at it within the framework of the spiritual disciplines. So without further ado, we're gonna start with a little bit of a lighthearted note here. Um, I've asked my families, my wonderful families, to, okay, give like a, no, names, how many children you have, if you work in or out of the home, homeschool, just super quick. And then we're gonna ask for people for their favorite parenting fails. We're just gonna level the playing field here. We are not extraordinary, but we have an extraordinary God. So uh, who wants to be the first one to, oh, just introduce and then we'll do the parenting fails. That'll be fun. <laughs> you wanna go, Tommy? All right, start it Since the second half. <laughs> yeah. Hi there, I'm Tommy and I'm the other half to, to Lily here. Um, and we have, of course, our four children, age three, four, six, and eight. Um, three girls, one boy, and I'm working outside of the house. Um, I'm, I'm, of course, a nurse over in the ICU at, at Roanoke Memorial, and Lily uh, is very kind enough to stay in the house uh, taking <laughs> care of the kids uh, while she's doing a few college classes. Uh, Brad Thompson, my wife Rachel Thompson, we have five children. We lost Titus, so there's four living. Uh, Jerry's eight, no, Jerry's turning eight. Uh, Joey's six, Benji's four. Like I said, Titus, uh, we lost him two years ago, and then Hopi is 11 weeks old. Hey, I'm Mike Childress. This is my wife, Faith. We have four children. They're 12, 10, 7, and 3. Did I get that right? Yeah. I just had birthdays. Um, I own a business, and Faith works a lot harder than I do and stays at home with the kids. Um, and I guess that's... Know yeah. Um, so I work for myself. I work full time. I do immigration and adoption law. So I work full time out of the home. And Brad um, is a criminal defense attorney and traffic attorney. So he also works full time outside of the home. And I'm. Hello. Um, I'm Erin Love, and I have uh, four daughters: 18, 15, 12, and 11. And I work here at the church as the um, women's ministry director. And for those of you who don't have kids at home right now, you might be thinking, how is this going to pertain to me? But in the past three years, um, I have found that the body of Christ has stepped in in a big way to help disciple my kids since I'm doing it on my own. And I appreciate that. And I want you to open up you know, your, your heart and um, listen to how God may want you to do that with grandchildren, neighbor, kids, families in the church, however he might um, spur that on. So don't think the conversation isn't for you as well. Favorite parenting fails. Oh, okay. We don't so, have to have, yeah. Go, I don't yes. have a, a specific um, parenting fail. Thanks. <laughs> Um, but I, I yell at my kids like a lot. Like once I get to a certain point, it's like my daughter Asher, who's 15, described it like an avalanche. She said, there's this, and then there's this, and then there's blah, 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 blah. And then you turn into the soft snow again. <laughs> and so I'm thankful that they see me turn into the soft snow. But it's pretty bad when it happens, and I, I say oh, sorry a lot. <laughs> we had too many to count, so we just picked one. Yeah, we're drawing from a deep well of parent fails. Um, but, oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Yeah, so I'm I'm like I'm constantly throwing like very bizarre improvisations at our children for no apparent reason, and um, <clears throat> I realized one time that they were going to start repeating stuff back to me, and uh, so I just like one time just threw out like uh, Isaiah. He's seven. He's kind of a nutty guy, and I think he was probably five maybe. And I was like, "How did you do, fresh and fruity?" to him, and I've heard that for like the last two years now, and he does the, like fingers and stuff. So it was like a really good chance for me to learn like. Really need to be careful what I'm just throwing out there randomly. So, yeah, that uh, that is a good parenting fail. Um, Rachel, remind me of a story. Jerry's like in first grade, and there's some bully at school. Whatever he's being picked on or what he's not, I don't even know. But he's he's having a hard time about some mean kid at school, and and I try to tell him like, well, you don't know what this kid's going through. You know, if he's being mean, you don't know like where he's coming from. Of course, I'm in court all the time with kids in foster care and with parents that are going to jail and the kids are, you know, left with their grandparents. So I like, try to tell him, like, you just don't know, you know, what his home life is like for him to be, like, going to school, getting all mean. And then he goes to school, well, you're mean because your dad's probably in jail. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> Um, mine was from when Shim was uh, four, so it was about four years ago. He was in preschool. And Lily came into the bedroom. This is just before bedtime. And for whatever reason, it seemed like the perfect time for me to be teaching him how to punch with the closed fist. This is a, a life skill, I figured. <laughs> <laughs> and she's saying, this is probably not the best age to be teaching him this. And I was explained, no, I learned it when I was that age, all this kind of stuff. So the next day at work, I get a phone call from his, uh, the office at his preschool. Basically, he had used this new life skill to punch his best friend in the nose. Now the head. Oh, in the head. And so, he bit his nose a different time. Yeah. <laughs> preschool was a tough time. <laughs> so, so, yeah, so I had to go in and explain to the, uh, the principal at the preschool about why I was teaching how to punch with the closed fist. And she was pretty aghast. <laughs> Let's just say Tommy grew up really country. That's our excuse. <laughs> like, really. Um, that's not as funny as I thought it would be. But, um, <laughs> but um, so one of the things that's really sweet about having all of these people up here is that we all grew up with very, very different family backgrounds. Like, some of our parents gave us what we all hope for our children, which is a godly heritage, right? And then some of us grew up in extraordinarily broken homes um, or homes where, you know, maybe you went to church, but your parents didn't really have a relationship with Jesus. Now, so just to know, like, we all disciple our children now. God can work with a mess no matter how big it is. So, but I do want to hear from you guys. Where did you see Jesus when you were a child? If you saw him in your home, like, what did that look like? Or what did it not look like? I've thought a lot about this as we are raising our kids. My parents made mistakes, like all parents do. But I have to say, I have to give my parents honor right here because they have raised, they raised eight kids who all love Jesus. And I think, how did they do that? How did they, how did they um, model this for us? And I think there were two things. The first one was that they actively taught us the Word of God. It was read in our home every day. Um, we memorized the Word of God as a family. We prayed together. But the second thing I think was the most important thing to me, looking back at my childhood and adolescence, 
was every morning, I remember coming downstairs super early, my dad dressed for work and my mom in her bathrobe and both of them sitting there with their Bibles open on their laps. And I remember as a teenager thinking, this is so important every day for years and years of my life. And I think that had more impact on me even than the daily Bible reading. And I don't know. Yeah, one thing um, I really admire about my parents is that they were always in church on Sunday. Um, it doesn't matter if they had a late night the night before. And it wasn't like a legalistic feeling. It was just like, this is what we do through good seasons and bad seasons. We will worship the Lord on Sundays. And so that's one thing I've been really encouraged by, like, with good times and bad times. You know, you have to structure your family in a way where there's no negotiation about, well, let's, you know, sleep in today. Um, so I really admire my parents for showing me that example. Uh, for me, I, I'm one of those came from a broken home originally. And so, you know, my mom um, had a, a soft-spoken love of Jesus that just pervaded every aspect of what she did. Um, I didn't see her so much with the Bible all the time, but she was always bringing us um, around to prayer. So anytime there was a difficulty, I was having issues with friends at school or anything like that, prayer was always the go-to. And so when I got older, it was a kind of a, a common sense sort of approach that, you know what, I'm having trouble with work or I'm having trouble with something else. I still remember her words, you know, when, when I was young. Uh, for me, I, I was blessed that my parents chose an amazing church to take me to. But um, they've, they've really stopped going to church, and I think it was because a lot of their practice was, uh, was very religious. They went for community, but they never really knew Jesus. And uh, for me, I experienced a, a solid amount of trauma in my childhood and really up through the college years, um, really struggling to meet Jesus. Um, I didn't know that he could be in my home like just another person that you might as well set the table for, like fully there. Um, but I love that we now have the opportunity to do that in our family. So, um, that's how we're gonna think. A lot of what I've realized, I think, you know, thankfully God has been walking with me through preparing through this. And I feel like one of the things that he's been saying is that pretty much all good parenting can be looked at within the framework of the spiritual disciplines. Um, easy example, um, one spiritual discipline is confession. Um, we teach our kids to say sorry, to find reconciliation with their siblings, hopefully. That's, that's a hope, right? Um, but you find the spiritual discipline of confession underneath that practice. I mean, prayer is often a gimme. Um, but then there's this biblical principle that I love, love so much, and that is of remembrance. One of the most powerful tools of discipleship is story. And I think that you can find that in Deuteronomy 6, where, you know, talk of it when you, you know, when you rise, when you sit down, when you walk by the way at all times. And what do we do throughout our days? We engage in stories. We tell stories to each other. We watch stories. These are the, like, perhaps the most powerful mode of discipleship is actually in the stories that we tell. So looking at this framework of the spiritual disciplines, um, I guess we're going to start with prayer. So I want to know, what does prayer look like in your family? And so when you're considering this, and I know everyone's considered this already, but think, what is, what is unique to your family? What, and what are the things that make your kids light up? 
within the spiritual disciplines too. If that, and any of that comes to mind, definitely share that. So prayer. Well, for me with my girls and being a little bit older, but I think I started this when they were younger as well, is asking for them to pray for you. Um, I think it's, as parents, we think, you know, we have to pray over them, which that is excellent. But there are days when I don't have it in me, you know. I do because Christ is in me, but I can't access it. It's just one of those days. And I think something very beautiful is for your kids to understand that they have access to the Holy Spirit and they can ask God. And so rather than it just being, you know, them asking for things, them realizing that they can ask for God to enable their parents to say blessings over you. I mean, that's been some of the sweetest times uh, for me. And I think it's important for them to understand that they can also minister to you. It's not just you to them and telling them when they do, or you see them walking in some gifts, um, my daughter, Natalie, many of you know her. She's working downstairs. She's always been very gifted with kids and with praying over people. And she has a prayer board that she started very early. And I look at it, I'm like, I need to learn how she does this and what she's doing. You know, just, just being open to sharing with your kids how they teach you and how they can pray for you, especially as they get older and in their teen years. Because even when they're resistant um, to spiritual things, I think being vulnerable in your own weaknesses can help them feel strength. Um, I was thinking about like what Tommy said, like just how, how prayer was just like a, a part of your growing up. It was kind of the same with my mom. Like uh, and most of you probably know my mom. She, she goes to the church here and my dad was a pastor here and like they both modeled a lot of prayer for me, which is pretty cool. And like, I think that faith does a really good job too of like pointing the kids towards prayer, like when there's something hard, it's like we try to point them to prayer. And we also try to like, uh, we were praying for a friend of mine's friend who had cancer and she got this amazing test back and we made sure to be like, hey, we prayed for this lady and like she got a really good report back. Like I think it's good to show kids the power of prayer as, as early as possible too. And, and to give it the weight that it really deserves, you know, like not just to, not just to pray before dinner, which is fine, but to, like, give it the true weight that it has. I don't know. So for us, I am praying before we take a long trip for, you know, safe traveling mercies or praying before bed. Oftentimes I find myself, like, I'm praying, you know, for them, but I'm also preaching at them while I'm praying. Like, I'm just preaching the gospel in Jesus, Amen. and he died on the cross. And, I mean, they're, they're younger, so... Um, you know, I'm hoping that's effective, that, I mean, they are hearing the gospel message reiterated, like, when we're going to bed, and I'm teaching them, you know, the forgiveness of sins, and Jesus died on the cross, and, um, and we thank him, we love him, and those sorts of things. I've actually found kind of an interesting aspect of um, prayer with our kids. One has been, uh, we, we started saying prayers with them in the car on the, on the way to church, and so each person gets their turn to pray on the way to church. Sometimes it helps them to keep from poking each other, sometimes not. <laughs> but the interesting thing is um, they started saying, oh, we need to pray, like even when we're going to school or when we're taking them to the store or things like this, they, they begin to internalize that. It's not that we're on our way to church, it's that we're in the car, and this is just our natural time of prayer. And so, um, you know, just as the lake reflects the mountains, I found that um, it started reflecting in my own life as I'm driving to work or as I'm you know, going somewhere by myself. First thing I think of is I need to start praying. And, 
I think that's kind of a beautiful thing. Um, it's a gift as a parent that sometimes those disciplines kind of start to reflect back on my environment. <laughs> Another thing that has been a practice of mine with my kids is um, asking the Lord to give a scripture to pray over each one of them. And so um, oftentimes we don't know exactly what to pray or what they're going through, especially as they become teenagers and we're not with them daily. Um, so that's been really beautiful because I feel that I'm asking God his heart over them. Um, Linda Roach, who many of you knew, she was a powerful, precious woman of God in this body, um, gave me a book when our third child was born, Praying the Scriptures for Your Children. Oh, my goodness. If you have children of any age, it is such an amazing resource. It just gives you so many scriptures to pray over your kids. It, it's interesting. I mean, I definitely echo, you know, have your children pray over you. But it, it's there is a real sweetness in prayer with children where, just as God does with us, it's not a matter of control. They don't have to pray. I mean, there are times more like, we're Sarah Brobs. This is what we do. We pray. Um, but a lot of the time, it's, it's, it's an opportunity also to communicate God's love to them and say, you know what? <sighs> he just loves you. He just, he loves to be with you. He loves to be in conversation with you. And to allow your kindness to be like God's kindness, to lead to repentance, to lead them to God. It's his love that does it. Um, David, in one of his psalms, one of my favorite psalms, it says, your gentleness has made me great. And it's in the context, he's talking about warfare, but your gentleness has made me great. It's amazing. And I, I'm a big time harsh person with my children. So oftentimes when I ask them to pray for me, it's because I'm going overboard and yelling like crazy. Or like the other day, you know, it was bad because Josie offered to pray for me three times. <laughs> um, <laughs> and she's, she's four. And I want to say like, there is, there's no age too young to where your children cannot start to know what it's like to be in a relationship with God. If your child can recognize your voice from the womb, most certainly he can recognize the voice of his God. Um, and so Josie, one of the ways that I've been able to encourage her, and her middle name is Faith, and we got that in prayer, and she was praying for me the other day. I was, like, really off the handle. It was only breakfast time, for goodness sake. And um, <laughs> I'm sitting, she's like, Mom, can I pray? Mommy, can I pray for you? And I'm like, okay. And, she, <laughs> and she's like, dear God, please help Mommy to have a good day and not a bad day. And whatever is in Mommy's heart that's making it, her yell at us, go away in Jesus' name. And I tell you, though, <laughs> I st and those of you who know me, this is not a surprise. I started crying. Um, but I felt God's presence in that moment. And I just, I was like, oh, man, I know we named her Faith for a reason. And I was able to tell her, Josie, I felt God's presence. I feel that anger just going away. I'm, I'm not going to be yelling at you anymore. Thank you for praying for me. Um, and in that, I, I just really want to echo, like, our children see the power of prayer from that tender age, but we need to communicate it to them. Um, all right, moving on to study and the word. What does teaching your children, I want to frame it this way specifically, what does teaching your children to love the word look like? What does teaching them to love the word look like? Um, I hope it's teaching them to love the word, but I just love memorizing scripture. Um, and so just getting them on a routine at night 
to be like, okay, and then tomorrow we're going to do this one and getting their energy excited about finish, finishing a particular chapter um, of memorizing because I just know that when I am at my worst and when there is when life is just really hard, I just have to have something right there. Um, and I also think when Jesus was tempted and um, the first thing he said is, it is written, you know, he didn't have a Bible. He didn't say, hold on one second, let me just get on Instagram and figure out what, you know, the best. But just having it on their tongue is what I just pray for. Um, and so, yes, teaching in the Bible and reading the, you know, reading through the different stories, but also just having it readily on their tongue um, is really important to me. And I'm hoping and praying that that gets them excited about more, learning more about the Lord. Just for a little bit of context, Rachel went to private Christian school from kindergarten through law school, private Christian school the whole way. I, on the other, on the other hand, was in public school from kindergarten until I got to law school. Um, so, you know, early on, I was very impressed with Rachel's, I mean, she memorized Bible verses from first grade, and that stuck, I mean, she's, her Bible knowledge was superior to mine because of her, you know, public, whatever, her education. Um, and then I've been encouraged by her teaching the kids all these Bible verses. I mean, I can't help but memorize the same ones because they're going over it over and over and over. Um, so it's encouraging. Yeah, the same thing you just said, but with faith too. Well, I've been super inconsistent with how we've done this in our in our home. Um, just being honest, I pray that like Faith saw her parents with their Bible open. They've definitely seen that consistency. I've been in the Word. But I remember the first time that they were old enough to be sort of a captive audience. Um, we decided to read the Bible through in a year kind of thing. And it was more of like I read to them every night. So they were used to that. So then I was like, well, I'm going to read the Bible. And sometimes I would play it, you know. So we're just all listening to it. The scriptures allowed in our home. And you know how there's places in scripture that are very repetitive, like this person lived this long and he did this and then he died. And this person did this. And I remember the girls doing this cadence. And then he died. And then I'd say the next part. And then he died. And then, it was so funny. But they remember that. And the cool thing is they really remember the guy who didn't die, that God just took him up. And they're like, wait, who is he? Like, what did he do? You know, so I think just making it fun, keeping it light. It doesn't have to be, you know, super cookie cutter. As they've gotten older, I encourage them, you know, I'll say, are you, are you reading scripture? Because, you know, with some kids it's easy. It just comes easy, just like all of us. And then in others, it's like pulling teeth, you know? And so to make it not legalistic and like a rule, like you have to, it's more like what, finding the thing that they love, whether it's scripture and song, like some of them will listen to spiritual music. And so I find ones that have um, actual scripture in them. So then when they're sitting in service and the psalm comes on and they're like, oh, I know this because they could sing it in the song that they learned. So there's tons of ways to do it, so you don't feel like a failure if you're inconsistent. <laughs> um, practically speaking, in our home, it looks like we just read the Bible after a meal, usually whatever meal daddy happens to be home um, for. So a lot of times it's breakfast, sometimes it's dinner. And then we do our memory work afterwards because we want to, like Rachel said, hide his word in their hearts. They can pull from it immediately so we don't have to go look something up. And um, 
one thing I started when they were little that really helped when they were little, and they're somehow still excited about it, even the 10 and 12-year-old. Um, we do Skittles for anyone who's working really hard on their memory work, and I see them being attentive. They get a Skittle, and they're still excited about it. So I'm like, well, let's keep doing it if it's working. <laughs> but um, I told them that God's word is sweet, and that's why we get sweet things when we memorize God's word, because his word is like honey. And um, I don't know. It helps when one child is like, <laughs> they see their child, the other one get a Skittle. So. Um, I, I think that's so cool about the, the memorization. I didn't, I didn't really grow up with the memorization context. Um, for us, we were uh, more oral tradition. And so my mom, as she was driving us in the car or anything like that, she would tell us the stories. And so I do the same for my kids. And so I give them the, the oral tradition. The, the stories get pretty elaborate, um, <laughs> especially with a few of them. Samson's uh, always a, a favorite. And so there, there are a bunch of these that, um, that we do, and then uh, in addition, at night we do puppet show, and so it's done through the, you know, the stuffed animals act out the Bible stories for the kids. And so every so often now the older kids, they want to be actors in it, and so they get to actually take on some of the characters. Mm-hmm. It's, it's super funny. We actually started with Shem when he was two. We just moved him in, into an actual little toddler bed out of a crib, and, and we were like, okay, well, well, puppet show. This is totally Tommy's idea, by the way. And, um, and the... Shem's actual name is Paul Samuel. We were like, oh, Samuel. So Samuel, Samuel, like the stuffed bunny gets woken up three times over and the priest is so irritated. He's like, go back to bed. And so, of course, our kid is like, ah, and laughing. And, but it's, it's teaching our children a love of the word. So when you start to feel that discipleship, whether that's in your family or in your friend, in your Bible study, is getting a little stale or like this is a duty, be like, okay, Lord, Give us hunger. Help us to do this out of love and to do it joyfully. Because I don't know about you, but I don't like doing anything that's not fun. So, so, and I know my children feel that way. Um, it doesn't have to be. Um, this is kind of a combination prayer and the word. Um, so for those of us who have young children, sometimes we can be overly possessive of our quiet times in the morning. And our kids wake up early and we're like, no. Um, but I do have a friend that she, um, she really started getting a soft heart to her kids showing up and interrupting. And, and I was just thinking about this, and I was like, I, I had this great, peaceful, like, <laughs> quiet time in the morning. And then I, I had a moment where I was like, okay, God, like, that, that could be really, really sweet to invite them into that. And, then, and I felt this softening and this turning in my heart, like, oh, I'm open to this now. And it was either that morning or it was the next that our son Shem, it was the beginning of the school year, so it was actually like 45 minutes earlier than he would normally. It was about 15 minutes before I would get up his sis- get his sisters up. He comes down, I'm reading my Bible, and he's like, can I read the Bible with you? And it was, it was literally the day of or the day after that I had, had felt my heart really soften to including him in that. But ever since then, he has gotten up and read the Bible with me. And if he comes down early and it's during like the worship portion of devotion, then he can just post up on the couch and he'll read some sort of Christian-oriented book or, or um, stretch with daddy on the floor if he's there during worship time. But um, he <laughs> started getting up at like 5.30 and I'm like, no, 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 it's not time yet. And he literally was like, I don't want to go back to bed. I don't want to miss Bible reading. And I was like... And I'd been praying for my children for hunger. And so just to say, like, trust God. Um, this is a little bit of a detour, but if you were here for Steve Breedlove, he answered a question so beautifully. Um, and it was Tommy had asked a question about, you know, you see all of these good kings having horrible sons. 
in the Old Testament over and over again. What do you do about that? And Steve Breedlove said, yeah, intentionality, discipleship, teaching your children the spiritual disciplines, this is all great. And then he said, but you have to have faith. And let's look at the scriptures, frankly. It says, you know, don't be double-minded. The person who doesn't have faith should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. And so God is gracious and he's merciful anyways, and especially when we cry out to him. But, but ask yourself, like, when I'm leading my children in these things, am I relying on my own strength? Am I, am I trying to force people to do this? Am I trying to force my husband to do this? Because as he pointed out, we disciple each other as spouses, as friends. We, we are all in the context of relationships of discipleship. Um, ask yourself, is, is this a product of faith? Is this something that I'm allowing God to do through me? Because if it's not, hold up, I gotta, I gotta get down on my knees. So I just wanna say that God is good. You, you pray for hunger in your children with faith, you're gonna start to see it. Um, on to the next discipline. I've got, mm, let's see, I wanna leave plenty of time for questions. So raise your hand if you have a question that you'll wanna ask further down the line. Anybody have questions yet? Because we're gonna do Q&A later. Thank you, I have at least one. Um, <laughs> so, um, I'm gonna let you guys pick between these ones so you don't have to answer both, but we're gonna both ask about what does worship look like in your family? Um, and, and recognizing that personal worship isn't necessarily something that people, I don't know. I'm gonna let you guys answer this as you want. And then we've got story and testimony, kind of going back to that point about remembrance, right? Um, this is a vital Christian practice, is remembering what the Lord has done. We have to do this in our families. So what does it look like in your families? Either uh, worship, as it comes to mind, or um, the discipline of story and testimony. <laughs> All right. I'll, I won't keep passing. It feels wrong. Um, yeah. I think that trying to recall like things that have happened in our lives for our, for our children has, has been an important part. Like my dad was a pastor here and um, was a really very good example for me. And I really saw the Lord working through a lot of things in his life. And our kids know, our, our kids never met him, but they know all about him, you know. Um, and the faithfulness that he showed, the faithfulness that God showed us as a family. Um, and just even, I think, being willing to like our oldest son, he's he's very strong. And like my honesty with him about what I struggle with and just being like, well, this is what God did to carry me through that, you know? And I actually really like what you talked about um, of other people stepping up. Like when my dad passed away, a lot of men really stepped up for me in a big way. Um, and in, in big ways and small ways, um, I see one of them right here. And um, just thankful for that kind of stuff. So I think being willing to share the, the remembrances in the good and the bad with our children and to be honest and like to be honest with Isaac and be like, yeah, I, I still struggle with this stuff that you're struggling with right now. And I have for a long time. I, I don't know. I think that honesty goes a long way. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that meant anything, but. Mm -hmm. So um, for worship for us, I would say what Rachel talked about with her family, um, going to church and being part of the church community is, 
hugely important, and I just, um, actually, Tim Henderson had this conversation with me the other day. We were walking outside, and he said, have you ever had to, like, struggle to get your kids to church? And I was like, well, I mean, they're like anybody. They're going to have days that they don't want to get out of bed and, and go, but it's just sorry, we're going, you know, that's just what we do, and, and I think that the um, story has been, and testimony has been huge, um, I really um, was attracted to Christ, and he drew me to himself through Young Life, and that was because they talked about Jesus like they knew him, the Young Life leaders did, and so I think that that's what I do more so with discipling my kids, is talking about my personal walk with Jesus and what I see him doing in my life and in the lives of others. Um, so in two examples that are just really personal, um, when the kids had overheard their dad say that he no longer wanted to be married, and it was probably one of the most devastating evenings of our life that happened to be on a Saturday night. And so we were pretty much up all night long, um, but the only thing I knew to do was to go to church, to worship the Lord in that moment. And I just had to be really honest with them. I said, this may be hard for you to see, but if I can't be real and, f- and worship the Lord and praise him through this, then I can't make it. And so you can choose to join me in that, or you can pretend like everything's fine, or you can sit in the car, whatever you need to do. But giving them that freedom to do that and to know that you can go to the Lord and, um, in all seasons, when it's good, when it's bad, when it's, you know, that's who you go to. Um, the other personal story I just shared the other day, um, it's about my daughter Asher, who's 15, she's just been introduced to Young Life. So it was a huge part of my walk um, in coming to, into faith. And so I'm very excited that my kids are going to now get an opportunity to, um, to participate in Young Life. But I was telling Asher how we used to make a hit list. And we called it that because it was like you look around the school and you pick like two people that you think they will never know Jesus, like no way. (laughs) And you pray for them. You just decide, like I'm going to see what God does here. And you don't have to tell anybody. It's just kind of like a secret mission between you and God. And I had, and actually the Thompsons are involved in this. I don't know if you guys know this. So there was a, when I was a young life leader at Salem High School, I prayed for four years and there was this particular young woman on my hit list. Um, and I watched her for those four years. She graduated, moved on. I never saw her again. At Titus's memorial service, I saw her sitting with you and all of your friends. And I was like, why is she sitting with them? Like, she's with all Christian women. Like, what is this? And that was amazing, like, to see this. And she was one of the, on their leadership team with the well. And it just, Lord didn't have to show me that. But he blessed my heart. And Asher was so influenced by that when I told her that story the other day. And so she's like, well, I want to do that. <laughs> I hope nobody finds the hit list. I hope it's not labeled that. Okay. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> oh, that's so, I love that. Um, yeah, I think for story too, it's um, just for, like Aaron said, was the kids see my brokenness, um, especially the last two years. It's been so hard, and I have been anxious um, to the point where I feel paralyzed. Um, and so it's for the kids to see that and just to say, Mommy's sad right now. 
um, and remember that the Lord has brought us from that, and he's still bringing us from it. Um, and for them to just not always see me at my best is actually a blessing um, because when I am weak, he is strong. Um, and so just really in the last two years, it's been, you know, the story of just telling them where Titus is, you know, and the story of telling them yesterday was not my best day, but Lord willing, today will be a better day. Um, and just having them ride that wave with the, me instead of trying to patch it and make it look pretty and for those of us who are horrifically emotionally leaky, like me, your children cannot help but be dragged into it. So, um, but that's, that was really precious. I mean, it, it makes me think of some of the hardest times I had. I mean, I, my husband can affirm that I have some pretty wild hormones sometimes. But there were, especially during my pregnancies, like before the tummy got too big, there were mornings where I was like, the only thing I can do right now is to go prostrate on the floor um, and just cry out. Um, and I think, I mean, I, it was like weird enough for him walking in on that, let alone the kids. <laughs> Why is she lying on the floor? Um, but for our children to see what does it, well, our children, our friends, our spouses, anybody that we're in relationship with, to see that heart cry. You, you got to lay it all out there. Your kids are going to learn. They're going to need to lay it all out there and cry to the Lord sometime. It's going to happen, and it needs to happen. Um, <laughs> let's see. You you kind of missed story, which is funny. So I'm just gonna <laughs> I'm just gonna brag on him. His our kids ask him. To, he he's such a storyteller. If there's like an issue in our family or something the kids are dealing with, sometimes he'll he'll literally just fabricate a story. And it'll be a story that they ask him to tell for years, like Sally the Cowgirl or the war between rocks and men. I mean, he's he comes from a family of storytellers, and it is it is amazing. Everything from, you know, puppet shows to, Dad, tell me the story of Pearl Harbor. So anyhow, it's just a brag moment. But um, <laughs> let's see. One thing I would add. Yeah. Um, so for the stories, um, I, I do. I love stories, but um, I think that what I found was was really neat that I hadn't anticipated with them, is that there is a struggle sometimes with um, the testimony of of our lives of how God's worked in our lives. Sometimes it's gritty. Sometimes it's it's not age appropriate uh, for a four year old or even a ten year old. Sometimes not a fifteen year old. Um, but what I love with the stories is, as they're allegorical, there there are bits of it that they pick out at different ages. And so there's an evolution of message. And I think that's a really cool thing because sometimes what they pick out of the stories, um, it's a little shocking. It's like, wait a minute, you're not supposed to get that yet. <laughs> and yet, like, they understand it and they're starting to internalize and they're starting to understand this and it spurs a much deeper conversation. Mm. And so um, I, I just want to encourage for that, if you're ever struggling to figure out how do I share these parts of my life that are so instrumental and so formative, and yet my kids I don't think will understand yet. Um, sometimes in story, there, there are ways that they can kind of pick that out mm -hmm. at their own pace. Well, and I just want to echo the scriptures are like that. Well, we, I mean, okay, so we take the kids through the scriptures, and there are like a couple places in Judges that we kind of gloss over, like... Jezebel and the tent peg to the temple. We're like, eh, that's really gross, and my child doesn't need to dream about that. But aside from that, we, we read them the whole of the scriptures. But the thing is that it's like a puzzle. You don't put all the pieces together all at once. And it's fine that your kids are going to pick out patterns for themselves as they go, and that's part of the walk with God. It's totally relational. It's a process. 
Um, if it wasn't, I mean, I mean, that's why things just aren't easy because God wants to be with us in the midst of it. But I love that, that the scriptures too, it's, it's a puzzle for them and they get to put the pieces together one at a time. And it's part of the fun of it is it takes a long time and it never ends. Um, okay, so, mm, and I'm just watching that clock. Uh, I want to know, because the, the thing that I'm most excited for is actually to hear some testimony of, okay, here we, you can go with, when you didn't know what to do, how did God touch your family in an unexpected or powerful way? And I want you to be as specific as possible, like not long-winded, but specific. Um, very specifically, I... After Benji, I did not know if I was supposed to go back to work or stay home. And always loved, I mean, two things I'm passionate about, being a mom and representing orphans and immigrants. And I'm like, how do I do that all at the same time? And the Lord could not have been more clear during that maternity leave that he will protect me, he will guide me, he will give me the resources to do both. And he has. Um, when life is crazy at work, my kids are healthy and everything's going pretty well. And when my kids have been sick, I look at my calendar. I'm like, how do I not have anything today? Um, the Lord has just always provided. And so I remember being at my, like, how am I going to do this? And just praying that the Lord would give me the stamina to do both. And I just love working full-time out of the home as a professional. And I love being a mom. I feel like ours is not really like a finished story. Um, one of our children has probably been, I think, the, probably the biggest challenge in both of our lives that we've ever had in our lives. Um, I'm trying to be very circumspect as I share this because I want to protect his privacy and everything. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm trying to be circumspect as I share this because I want to protect our child's privacy. Um, but I feel like it's an ongoing issue for us. It's an ongoing thing where we constantly are saying, Lord, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you, as it says in the scripture. Um, parenting this particular child has driven both of us to our knees literally every day. Um, and I feel like our dependence on the Lord, we have just realized we can't do this one. We can't, maybe the rest, the other three, we might be able to get them up somehow, but we need Jesus so badly for this one particular child. And because of that, I feel like our marriage has grown. Our relationships with the Lord, mine have grown. Um, it's been a good thing. It's been a painful and difficult thing, if I'm being honest. But because we don't know what to do, we have to look to him. And day by day, he's been faithful. Um, I read this devotional from Elizabeth Elliot years ago, and she said one of the Lord's names is the God who is enough. And she said, if we're honest, he might not be all that we want, but he is always enough. And that is what he's been for us as we parent this particular child. So I think that's our story in that. I think for me it's the Sabbath. Um, right after I got out of the Coast Guard, uh, you know, we had the little baby boy and, uh, and Lily at home taking care of him. And I was doing 18 credit hours um, each semester, and I was working four different jobs at the time. And I was working literally from the time I woke up until the time I went to sleep. Um, there was no margin. There was none whatsoever. And Lily had been, uh, she'd been praying about the Sabbath, and she says, we need to have a Sabbath. We need to take a Sabbath. And I was like, it won't work. It's impossible. We don't have the space for this in, in, in our life. And, 
And she says, well, it's in the scripture. And so she left it to me. She was like, I'll leave it to you. You decide if you're going to follow the scriptures. <laughs> so <laughs> there wasn't much choice there. And so, <laughs> so I said, we'll try it. It's not going to work, but we'll try it. And, uh, and we did. We took an entire 24-hour span where there was no work that could get done. And amazingly, God just spread everything out. I was still working just as much, no added burden, um, the other six days. And then one day was just completely free. And I think what God spoke to me the most out of that was, one, he, was, he will part the seas for us to walk through. That there was safety and there was peace um, you know, for us to, to take that path. But also, it spoke so much to the hearts of, our, of, of Shem. Um, he would get so excited. It's the Sabbath. And so, you know, I would be like, oh, I need to do a ton of work today. And he's like, no. And, and it became the joke. Still a joke for our family. Like, oh, you got to go to school. No, it's the Sabbath. And so the Sabbath became this haven, this, this marker for them to get to in their work, where they knew that mom and dad will absolutely be available, where um, this is our family together. And they knew it was from God. I, I love that. That's a, that's a spiritual discipline that I like could have specifically put on the list too, is keeping the Sabbath, um, which is, which is again, like oftentimes our culture doesn't, or, or even our particular church culture, you know, because we can't all do it all, right? Doesn't necessarily um, flesh out all, you can't flesh out all the spiritual disciplines all at the same time as church leaders, but in your home, you can make a gradual cumulative practice of it. Um, I, I wanted to mention this because, of course, it's, it's, you don't start all of this stuff all at once. Like when we started doing holiday traditions, and I was like, oh, man, I want to do Advent. I'm, I grew up in an Episcopal gone Anglican church, so I love liturgy. I didn't when I was a kid. I love it now. Um, but Advent is actually our kids' most favorite holiday, and it started with, I think I lit candles. We sang the first verse of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. We turned the lights up. For Mary, that ritual, last year, somebody sang the first verse, and she, she paused, and she got this look in her eyes, and she was like, I felt something. <laughs> and I was like, that's right. He's coming, right? Um, and yeah, it's kind of a tangent. But um, I, I, I have some personal stories that, of where we didn't know what to do, specifically with our oldest child. There was one instance when he was really struggling with, getting put to bed and uh, like he couldn't resist coming out and begging us to bless him again because we end the night with a blessing and um and I was like Lord what is going on here like we prayed and I was like do you feel better and he said no and I and in my heart I was just like Lord you have equipped us and and you guys know you are equipped you are spiritually blessed with every blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus you're seated with him for goodness sake you you have access to all that he has so when you have a need ask and as I was asking like what do I do for this boy I heard worship and I was like oh, of course but it was it was so funny but the cry of his heart was so great that even as like a six-year-old six maybe like he joined us in worshiping and it was just this beautiful heartfelt worship and after that it was what weeks where he'd been coming out desperate to be blessed you know he just couldn't go to sleep without kind of repeatedly coming in and out, and he just, it didn't, it didn't happen again. Um, there was another time, uh, the only time I remember God specifically giving me a dream was when he was struggling with lying, and I was like, gosh, this is bizarre. He's just impulsively lying about all these things, and, and uh, we were kind of like, okay, well, it is kind of developmental, but I just, I wasn't satisfied, 
and um, went to bed one night. I had a dream where I saw him being bitten by a snake, and all I heard was, pray to drain the poisons. So I sat up in bed, and that's what I prayed. And the next day, I saw him tempted to lie, and he, and he didn't. I saw him tempted, and after that, it just, it just stopped. It had been persistent, perpetual for, for a while. Um, so all that to say, our God is powerful. Whether you feel equipped or whether you're like, I don't have a clue, he's going to meet you where you are. And if you have those moments, often where you're like, I don't know what to do, he, he may intervene in a powerful way too. But that goes back to the aspect of faith. We need to trust that our God is who he, said, he says he is, right? So... On that note, does anyone have any questions? I think we just have a couple minutes where we can do question and answer, but we'd, we'd love that. I think there was at least one question earlier. Well, I first want to thank you for taking your time to do this. And from a child's perspective, because I'm not even close to having a family yet, so I want to thank you for essentially changing your lives in order to take care of your children. And I also want to thank you for doing the best that you can with the tools that you guys from growing up, I know one of the tools that my mom for sure liked to use the most is expectations. Mm-hmm. Where sometimes that tool was used like a hammer to build a stronger foundation, but other times not so much. And to keep the metaphor PG, I'm gonna leave it at that. So I was wondering, because I want to learn from parents who are experiencing all this right now. Do you have any thoughts or do you have any thoughts or insights on expectations? And I know we can probably think of times where holding on to expectations is good for building a strong foundation, but has there been any times where you let go of an expectation for the purpose of building a strong foundation? Um, I can address that just as far as where I shared that going to church was is an expectation, and I think I had to lower my expectations as far as like how they would participate and begin to inquire of them. Like, um, okay, you don't want to go or you find this boring. What is something you do like? What do you like? What's an aspect you like? And kind of start to sew into that and feed that. So like my youngest, Amaza, she, lo- I mean, she loved to worship. I will let her sit with Catherine because Catherine is very exuberant in her worship. And so she wanted to learn from that. She likes to the fellowship part of things and being prayed for. So she would sit with the ladies who uh, would knit together instead of going to Sunday school because that ministered to her heart more and it made her more excited to be in church and at the body of Christ. So um, I had to kind of let go of what it would look like for them to participate in church and in worship. And uh, again, like my daughter Asher drawing pictures, like she can listen really well and she draws what she's hearing, but or, you know, just different differences, letting them uh, find a way that is meaningful to them to participate in worship. Uh, one thing that I teach my kids is as far as like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And those expectations, I tell them, I don't care if you're a lawyer or a doctor or if you're stocking shelves at the grocery store or if you're a garbage man, just be the best. I, go, I don't care what you're doing, you have to be the best at it. Um, all-American garbage stalker, you know, or garbage, whatever. You have to be the best, and that is what I try to teach them. I don't care what you're doing. You have to be the best at it. Um, I actually really like your perspective, even um, even without kids yourself, because 
I think um, we're all going to engage with kids one way or the other as a you know Sunday school teacher, neighbors, you know, whatever. And so I think it's it's a great question to be asking. Um, I think for me, for the expectations, uh, we all have a, a behavioral expectations. We all have performance expectations of our kids that you will be honest, you will you know you know handle yourself appropriately. I try to make those the non-condemnation ones. Um, I think the biggest ones for me are the hard expectations. And so I want them to understand that the behavior, the reason why there's, there's an expectation of behavior or an expectation of um, you know, just how they comport themselves is uh, realistically their, their heart position. Um, you know, what is it, how does this reflect on your personal honor, um, on your integrity uh, as you're going forward? And why is integrity important? Um, I use examples from my life about if I lack integrity uh, with my boss or um, with the people around me, uh, stuff like that. And so ultimately I want it to direct them toward um, their personhood more so than uh, just their actions. Um, I try to emphasize to my kids, like, make sure your heart is in the right place. Um, I, I often phrase things like, please don't do that. That's That's not good for your heart. Like... So, so simply, yes. Uh, anybody else have a question? Let's see. Um, or an example, if anybody's burning with an example as well. Um, so since there's not, there are not a lot of questions, which is totally fine, we'll, we'll wrap up. But um, I also wanted to mention that um, we're, we're going to be here for a couple minutes. If anybody um, feels they would like someone to pray over their marriage, over their family. We, we would be very happy to. I'm not going to volunteer everyone else. Um, <laughs> but we, we would be happy to. So if, if anyone feels the need for prayer, like you're just, you're really discouraged in your home or you just, you're not sure where you're going to see God break in. He will. I mean, just, you know, reach out. Let, let the body help you with that. Um, or if it's not dire, you know, please get prayer anyways because he's good. Um, but yeah, no, thank you for listening. And I hope that this was helpful, even for people who don't have young children to kind of consider the framework of discipleship. Thank you guys.